Welcome to the Body Positivity Podcast with Diana and Arliss. And what are we going to talk about today, Diana? Oh my God, we're going to have a great conversation today, Arliss, all about the science behind food and diets and why maybe you might just not want to hold the chocolate. Oh, I love that. So let's just start off with dessert first. What do you love about chocolate? (laughs) One of the things that I love about chocolate is the nuance of flavors. Um, A lot of times when I talk about life and surviving crisis and and all those kind of things, I use the metaphor of, uh, of bitterness being an essential component in creating something that tastes out of this world like chocolate does. And I think that when we understand how bitterness is really a component that just creates depth and nuance and helps us appreciate the sweetness and the richness of chocolate all the more, uh, it becomes a much more meaningful experience than um, than when you have, you know, something that doesn't have any of the bitterness. Like, like we all need a little bit of that, I think, to... Um, to create something with more depth. So that's that's uh, what I love about chocolate. What do you love about chocolate, Arliss? Well, and I think it's interesting that you are using the word bitterness because I think that that has such a negative connotation to it and you're using it in such a beautiful way where it's really enhancing flavor and adding to how we experience something. And so um, I love that. What do I love about chocolate? Well, I love lots of things about chocolate. I love sipping chocolate and I love (laughs) eating chocolate and I love cooking with chocolate. And as somebody who doesn't eat refined sugar, it's allowed me to get kind of creative with how I find chocolate or new chocolate experiences. The other thing that I love about cacao is that the caffeine that is found in cacao is different than the caffeine that's found in coffee. And it's actually beneficial to the body in some respects. And also cacao is thought throughout history to open up our heart chakra and is and is uh, linked through history to self-love and love practices. And I, I absolutely love that about chocolate. Wow, we took that in totally different directions. And I think that's part of what's really cool and fun about our conversations, Arliss, is it's like both of us learned and thought different things about coffee uh, and still have like a beautiful thought on it all together. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't know, um, about chocolate being related to the heart chakra or um, even think about it in terms of like self-love or love practices. And there are ways that there are derivatives of that still in our society with like chocolate on Valentine's Day kind of thing. But I, I love that even knowing that the caffeine is different. I didn't know that. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. The The caffeine in that's found in chocolate is theobromine. So if anyone wants to do a little bit of their own research on that, I highly recommend learning more about theobromine. And then the um, as far as the heart chakra, there there's a rich history of different communities that have used sipping chocolate as a form of ritual. A lot of those rituals are centered around love. Here, even on the Big Island of Hawaii, 
there is um, a full moon ritual group that meets. And part of that ritual is sipping chocolate. I love that. Thanks for sharing that, Arliss. That's neat. So, you know, with the with us kind of talking about some of the ways that chocolate is healthful or uh, can be good for us, that may come as a surprise to someone who might be listening if they're if they've always kind of had that concept of chocolate is bad or it's sinful or it's a diet food or we need um, we need to limit chocolate. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about that relationship between science, food, and diets, because I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I I love that. And one of the things that I think is kind of forgotten is the details. So it's not that chocolate or cacao in itself is bad. In fact, there are many instances where cacao can be beneficial to the body. Um, but it's the details of what is that chocolate encased with and full of and um, part of. So if we take um, a candy bar that has a high amount of refined sugar in it, has a high amount of fat in it, has preservatives or maybe artificial flavors and colorings, well, that probably isn't such a healthy choice. But if you take an 80% uh, organic cacao bar that doesn't have refined sugar in it, uh, that might actually be a much healthier choice and something that could be enjoyed possibly on a daily um, if that works for the person's body. I like that. Um, and for me, it's, it's just a reminder that a lot of times I get the sense that when it comes to science and and diets and what's good or bad, there's really a lot more behind it than the kind of quick sound bites that we give or that we use and then take and then turn into something that it was never intended to be. Did you ever have a different relationship where you thought of chocolate in a different way, like where it seemed like a bad food or anything like that? Absolutely. Um, and I grew up in Catholic school, so chocolate was something that was very often given up at Lent uh, by myself or others that were practicing Lent at the time. It was considered a sacrifice to give up chocolate and a healthy choice. And so I definitely had that moment or moments in my life where I felt like everything that had chocolate in it was bad. And I agree with you that it was because I had taken a sound bite and made it a universal rule without really looking at the details uh, and the components of what I was eating. And what really changed my relationship with chocolate was really learning about what ingredients mean and what nutrition facts mean. Um, and it allowed me to feel like I have more freedom of choice because I can better identify what is actually really healthy for me and what is not. What about you, Diana? So I have a deadly peanut allergy, as you know. Because of that, I've always had a very cautious relationship with chocolate because, um, because one of the things that I have to be concerned about is, is there nuts in this chocolate? 
And my allergy is so severe that I, I have to ensure as well that, you know, sometimes people would mix nuts or sometimes use almonds and then use it in the same machine that they're using peanuts. So I was always cautious of the ingredients around, around chocolate. Um, and honestly, at the same time, I've always been a believer of not allowing <laughs> that to stop me from living life. So my, my kind of way of dealing with it is I would, I of course, read the ingredients to see if something had peanuts in it. If it doesn't have peanuts, but maybe was processed in a facility that processed nuts or, and peanuts and other things, I still would make the choice of, well, how does this particular one make me feel? Just because, you know, if that ingredient is not in there, then I do want to make sure that I'm still being safe, but understanding that like, you know, people also are human, that mistakes can happen and still those mistakes can cost me severely. So I'm super cognizant of the ingredients um, and never as a result developed the kind of taste for chocolate that a lot of other people do. Um, so it's something I enjoy, but not something that I particularly think of or crave specifically, like in that kind of way. Um, I had less of like a sweet tooth than I did a salty tooth. So I don't even know if there's like a term that goes along with it, with preferring salty, but I just, I always preferred like salty, savory, um, like fatty, um, like meat, like that. Those were the kind of things that always appealed more so to me. So, um, so yeah, and but I do resonate with that feeling of like you have to give some food up and that it's it's like there's this um, kind of like victimization or like judgment around chocolate or this thing that you're giving up and you're so good for giving it up kind of thing that I think we can get caught up in. Um, and I think for me specifically, like, you know, it, it again goes back to that idea of like taking a sound bite and turning it into a mantra. It's like, you know, is this really bad for me in all ways, in all cases? Is there a way that this thing that other people have told me is bad for me could actually be okay and good for me? And I, I think of food as such an individual thing because of, uh, because of my peanut allergy, something that I'm sure that peanuts have some form of like very high nutritional value in that they're high protein, et cetera. They're a relatively cheap form of protein. But for me, that doesn't make it healthy, even if it is a high source of protein. And I think that we need to respect that all of us, even if we don't have an allergy, all of us can have foods that are healthy for us that are not necessarily healthy for other people. Uh, and we all get to be a part of that discovery and make those choices uh, along that journey, I think. Absolutely. I think that that is really beautiful. And we get to be an advocate for others and be supportive of their choices. Um, you know, so many times I've been in places uh, and I have very, you know, strict eating guidelines for what's healthy for me. And I've had somebody say, oh, just, you know, just try one. It won't be bad or or something like that. Um, and 
And I would love for there to be more people in the world that say, I'm so glad that you know what you can eat or not eat. And I'm going to totally support you in that. And if some, if they heard someone say, oh, just try one, say, oh, no, she's she's good. She doesn't need to try one. <laughs> um, we can be advocates for each other. And I think that it it could be a part of normal conversation to ask what are safe foods or what are unsafe foods because i would definitely want to know when going out to a restaurant with you that you know maybe having peanuts in my dish at the table may not be okay like that in itself may not be okay um or you know choosing a specific restaurant that fits within my dietary uh restrictions so that we can both sit and eat um many times i've gone out to lunch with people and they eat and i sit and i talk to them i'm i'm grateful to be there um but for whatever reason you know my dietary needs weren't really taken into consideration at that point and i probably wasn't taking them into consideration myself too so um so yeah i think that this is a way that we can really learn to advocate for each other and it's definitely a way that we can express body positivity so knowing what is good and healthy for us as far as food and honoring what is good and healthy for another person as far as food really speaks to body positivity yeah and one of the things i think that's also really cool about understanding what's really healthy for you um, for each of us as individuals is that it gets to be a journey. What's healthy for us today might not, you know, be what continues to be healthy for us when we live another 20 years. And that's okay for those things to change and for our, for our body to change and for our needs to change. And I think we also want to honor that process where maybe something wasn't good for you before and now it is, or maybe something didn't work well with you before and now it does that's all good. It's, it's all possible. And I think it's important to, to remember that, that we can, um, that what's healthy really is specific to us in space and time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you ever, um, like get caught up in like dieting and like fad diets? Were there any that you got caught up in? <laughs> Oh, let me count the ways. <laughs> um, I have tried so many fad diets and gotten caught up in all of that. And, and some of the th ways that I eat now, people interpret me as being on a fad diet and I'm not. So that's really interesting too. That's like the flip side of the coin, right? Um, but you know, low calorie diets or the cabbage soup diet I tried or, um, Atkins, I did Atkins. Oh my gosh. The meat and cheese and, and eggs for days. And, um, I, I could probably list many more. Um, so I definitely have, what about you, Diana? <laughs> you know, it's really funny is I make a really delicious cabbage soup. <laughs> <laughs> and part of it came from me learning of that cabbage soup diet. Like, but my cabbage soup is so delicious. Like now that I'm even thinking about it, I'm like, I could actually have that and be like thrilled for a couple of days. I mean, I, I may have to make it and then share the recipe. Um, 
for when one of us is feeling like we want some cabbage soup, not for diet purposes, yes, <laughs> um, but for if we want to have some delicious cabbage soup kind of thing. Um, I dabbled a little with Atkins, but more did more a South Beach diet. Mm -hmm. And overall, definitely did the low calorie restricting, had a lot of those vibes of like, sweets are bad for you, but we celebrate with sweets. And in Filipino culture, it's a lot of the way that we show love is we ask the question like have you eaten yet kind of thing basically and it's like so it's as if these people are feeding you and that's how they show you love but then at the same time they're pinching you and being like you gained weight you're fat like it's a very confusing dynamic um at least for me personally um so that's that was a little bit of uh, kind of my experience so like it felt like sweets and fatty foods were like bad for me and it was like why are these things that I enjoy bad for me. And it actually made me start to feel a little like I, what I liked was bad. Mm -hmm. I, I misinterpreted that to be like, oh, the things that you like, this is not what other people like. So you need to learn how to like what other people like. Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of toxicity around celebrating with food that is restricted um, when, in normal times. Uh, for one, I think that people, or at least myself, I will speak for myself, in the past when I've used a food as a celebration, it was usually something that was on my completely no, I shouldn't be eating this at all list, right? So uh, when I discovered that I was celiac and that I needed to go gluten-free, I would have a cheat day once a month and I would eat like three full wheat donuts. <laughs> and let me tell you, I got really, really sick and I justified it. I was like, oh, I'm going to do this on a Friday and then that way I'll have a weekend and it'll be okay and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, and I totally justified it because I had been quote unquote good the rest of the month. Um, but it was something that was really, really not healthy for me. Um, and not just in a weight loss sense, but for my physical body, um, it, it caused a huge immune response and sickness in me. And so I think that that's one of the toxicities around celebrating with food is normal. It's usually something that's way on the no list. And two, I think that it creates this thing where it's like, I'm going to be, I've been good, so I can be bad, <laughs> which is all judgment. It's all, you know, good and bad is judgment. And the biggest toxicity around that is that that kind of behavior and thought pattern can leak into every aspect of our lives. So we can be doing this with food where we're going to celebrate with bad food because we've been good. But then what about in our relationship? What about in our work? What about um, in our personal life? If we've been good, what does bad celebration look like in those areas? And it like it can get really complicated and really, um, really not fun consequences sometimes to those choices. So I think that for me, getting out of that pattern of rewarding myself with food for things has been hugely eye-opening because one, it puts me in a place where I am seeking food that is on my healthy list all the time 
So I'm not thinking about, oh, these bad foods I'm going to eat, right? I'm seeking food that's on my healthy list all the time. And two, I get to reward myself in ways that are supportive and healthy. So I'm not, you know, doing a bad thing because I've been good to reward myself. I'm rewarding myself in ways that are good and healthy. So I love that you brought that up. It's something that I obviously feel very passionate about. Um, and yeah, I would just, I would love for our listeners to really think about, you know, are you rewarding yourself with food? And when you are, is that food on your healthy list, not on the good or bad list, but on the healthy list, is it food that really makes you feel better? The other point that I would love to add to that, um, with celebrating with food that I think is a very interesting pattern for all of us to look into myself included. I, I, and this is why I'm sharing it, um, is we often celebrate with food, but are those also some of the same means by which we cope when we're stressed? Mm -hmm. So is it also a stress coping me mechanism? And I think it's very important for us to notice this behavior overall from, an, from, a, from a perspective of, this is what I do when I celebrate, and this is what I do when I'm stressed and overwhelmed. Um, and start to really see, you know, it, are these again, patterns that are serving me? And I love the words, Arliss, that you use specifically with supportive and healthy. These are high quality, high vibration words that we can use to think about food. Now, the reason I'm using that word, uh, that phrase, high vibration words, is because those thoughts of what would be supportive or healthy for me brings to brings to mind specific pictures or ideas of what are steps that I could take that support my health versus when we talk about this concept of good versus bad. When we place value on food, we're actually telling us this thing that I'm putting into my body is bad. This thing that I'm putting into my body is good, but I'm doing it and it's, it feels like a punishment that I'm doing this thing, I have to do it it doesn't. And so when we eat this food that feels like it's basically being forced upon us that um, that we don't want to eat, how do you think that goes on in our body? How do you think our body digests that versus if we eat that same food and we're eating it because it feels supportive and healthy? It's a completely different uh, manifestation of results, even if we're taking that same exact action, because in the case where it feels like punishment, the results don't last. The, it feels like, you know, I have to be good for this period of time. So now, so then I get to be bad, have a cheat day, all these different things, instead of just finding a means of eating in a way that feels supportive, healthy, and supports us. And honestly, I think that's, that's sometimes a hard question to answer, you know, like what's like, just because we know what's supportive and healthy to us, I still think sometimes it's hard to make that choice. Do you ever find that to be true, Arliss? Absolutely. Uh, it wasn't. So I have really strict guidelines for how I eat. And three or four weeks ago, I had decided that I was going to eat this pizza that mostly conformed to those guidelines. 
And the day after I ate it, I was in the emergency room because my intestines were saying, no, 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 this is not okay. And I really wanted pizza. I mean, if I'm just honest with you, I'm, I love pizza and it's really hard to find pizza that conforms to my guidelines. And I had not eaten pizza in eight months and I really wanted pizza. And so I found something that was close. And it had beans in it. And I'm not, that's beans are on my not healthy list. Like they don't jive with my intestines. And I ate it. I ate the pizza because I really wanted the pizza. And what that came down to was I decided that I wanted something that tasted a certain way. And I decided that that value was higher than my health, if I'm completely honest. And it's hard. It's hard for me to say that. Um, it's hard for me to admit that. And it's something that I have to work on every day because of course I want the ice cream. Of course I want the pizza. Of course I want the Cheeto and the trying to think of something that's like super healthy, but that is not on my list, the lentil beans or whatever. Like, of course I want those things because I know what they taste like. They're yummy. My taste buds don't have a problem with it at all. <laughs> and my health is more important. And when I decide that, that that instant gratification is more important than my health, I that's really a disservice to myself and my body. And so it's it's some it's a discussion that I'm having with myself on the daily, like on on a daily basis, because I, you know, beans are not are on the unhealthy list. Grains, all grains are on the unhealthy list. Tomatoes, uh, white potatoes, zucchini. I mean, I could sit here and probably list 20 a sugar, you know, refined sugar, 20 different things are that are on my no list. And not because they're bad, but because my body can't process them properly because of the how I was built and my genetics. And and so, you know, knowing that information and knowing the results, it's still challenging for me sometimes to make that that decision. And I have to move through that process and that discussion with love, because if I try to force myself into making a quote good decision um, and place judgment on it, I'm so much more likely to decide, screw it. I don't want that rule anymore, you know, but when I'm making the decision around do I want to feel healthy tomorrow? You know, how am I feeling healthy in my body? That's, that's a moment where I can really empathize with myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I honor you for, yeah, let's, let's be honest about it. It's like, we know what's healthy. It's still not always an easy choice for us in terms of um, sometimes we want the instant gratification and that's, that's a very human part of us. And I think that rather than resist that humanity, I think it's also about just honoring that we go through that, that we have that process that, you know, if it's, if it's been longer since the last time that it's happened, or if it's been that you, um, you know, you learned the lesson on a different level this time or whatever that looks like, that it's okay to continue to move forward in that vein. 
um, and not feel totally discouraged when we make a decision and realize like, okay, that was, that was a very human moment, you know, like, um, that was, that was me maybe not being my most perfect self and just being human and real. And I think that's, that's so important because it's for me also, it's not always easy to make the, the healthy choice. Um, especially when my husband is a chef and loves to cook all sorts of different things. Um, and so one of the things that I do, and I'll tell you, I don't do it perfectly. I try and remember what my values in food are. And so I know what I can't have or what's not, um, not a safe or healthy food for me. But I also look at it in terms of what I love about eating. And one of the things that I love about food is the the variety of, of flavors and um, tasting a lot of different things. I enjoy more than just having a, like a lot of a single thing. So I use that to my advantage in that I can have small amounts of the food that I'd love, but I don't have to eat tons and tons of it. Um, and again, you know, like when we mentioned how we celebrate is also how we, um, how we cope in stress, you know, like for me, when we were, as we are going through the COVID pandemic, um, there are parts where like, that's, that's the way that it's easier for me to cope with stress. And so I end up eating more than, you know, like more than I'm hungry for necessarily in that moment. And I think it's like, we want to be honest about that. We want to kind of remove some of the shame and the judgment that we have internally around that process, because it's, it's okay for us to not be perfect at this. Um, and to know that, you know, there is a lot of like stories, conditioning, emotion that goes behind food that uh, we need to unpack to get to a place where our relationship with food is at more peace. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, it's really about knowing that the choices that I'm making today are not for just this moment too. I think it's so easy to be thinking about wh how, what we want in this moment or what I want in this moment. And one of the ways that has helped me to make choices that are healthy for me is to think, you know, how does eating this right now serve me next week? How does eating this right now serve me in a month? Um, because there are definitely, if, if I eat according to the parameters that I've been given for my health, it definitely serves me. You know, like I am much more likely to feel energized and to feel better in my body and to be expressing more health than if I don't. Um, the other thing that I would say is having a healthy list has really prompted me to do the work and search for the things that are that are feel like they feel like indulgences, but they are on that healthy list. So like I love Lily chocolate bars. Like I love Lily chocolate bars. Um, I love almost every single one that they make. And Lily is a chocolate company and they use stevia instead of refined sugar as the sweetener. My favorite though is the dark chocolate coconut, just in case anybody's wondering. But, <laughs> but it's amazing. And I did the research to find that 
And now I'm able to eat chocolate every day if I want. And I could even eat the whole bar if I want. And my body is totally fine with it. Now I don't eat the whole bar very often. I wouldn't say never because there are those days. But um, <laughs> but I can, I can eat as much of the chocolate or as little of the chocolate as I want and my body's okay with it. And so once you figure out what's on your healthy list, take the time to find the things that feel indulgent and yummy and scrumptious that are still on that healthy list. Yeah, um, I had a conversation recently with somebody who's telling me about how they don't love greens. Um, and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm just like, I don't really like the flavor. Like, how do you prepare them? And so I was telling them about my spinach recipe and the way that I learned how to cook greens from, um, from a chef who like, he came into the restaurant where I was working at and he had come from working at the French Laundry, which is Thomas Keller's, uh, I don't know how many stars restaurant they have in Napa Valley. Uh, and he's like a, he's like a well-known like kind of chef anyway. So um, he taught me how to cook greens in this way that I have always cooked greens since. Now I'll, I'll be honest in that I don't cook greens this way a lot at home because, um, because in our house we have an electric, um, we have an electric like stove and like being in an apartment, like the fire alarm goes off all the time. Like when I cook the way I want to, which is like high heat searing and like creating a lot of browning and like depth of flavor. So I don't do it as often as I really would love, but I love high heat cooking greens because what happens is that you actually develop um, like kind of a nuttiness. Um, do you know, how, you know how, like, have you ever had like asparagus that's grilled? Mm-hmm. You know, do you know how like it kind of tastes very different from asparagus that's uh, blanched or like just sauteed in like garlic or something like that? Yes. So there, there are actual like chemical transformations that happen when we're high heat cooking that create different flavor compounds and that are available when we just blanch or like uh, when we just saute something like like the asparagus. And so those green flavors that are more prevalent when we're cooking with, um, when, when we're cooking in that like saute or steam kind of way, when we grill with like high heat, just like with asparagus, we develop like a nuttiness. Like there's a bitterness that goes along with it that actually amplifies the taste and gives it this like meatiness in a way that we don't get out of greens otherwise. And so that's why I love high heat cooking with greens. Um, and that's an indulgent, yummy and scrumptious uh, dish that I really love with greens. It has like, like a lot of flavor. I, I don't remember where I shared the video. I think I did it maybe on Facebook. Definitely it's on my Instagram. Um, so if anyone's curious, it's diana.gremion, uh, G-R-E million. Uh, and you can go look for it. But yeah, I, I just, that is one thing that I find to be really delicious. And then even with uh, one of another like, favorite food for me is I love making like salads, like, like green salads. And the way that I look at salads is that if you're going to eat a salad, like, why would you eat it and it be sad? <laughs> so I think that salads should be delicious. And for a salad to be delicious, in my mind as a chef, what that means is that it has all different kinds of components so that it's like waking up your palate. It feels 
you know, like it just feels like a full sensory experience. And to create that as a chef, I look at, at adding texture. So I want to have maybe like soft greens or sweet greens or something that is, um, you know, has like the, those kind of qualities to them. Or maybe I want bitter greens if I'm going to have like a lot of cheese and richness, whatever it is, like I look for creating a balance where the greens definitely have that healthy part. Um, where can we add a little bit of fat, of richness? Maybe it's nuts, maybe it's cheese, maybe it's, um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's meat or something like that. Like, what is it that adds um, that other little bit of texture? Maybe it's the dressing as well that adds a lot of creaminess or are we going for something that has a lot of sharpness and like brightness to it? And I think it's all just about playing with the ingredients in that kind of way. Um, so tell me, Arliss, like you hear how I just kind of think or create with salads, like what what are some of your favorite salad ingredients? <laughs> yes, and I have to say that I hear a body positivity uh, cookbook coming down the pipe at some point. So my favorite things, I love to um, saute onions in balsamic vinegar with a little bit of honey and salt and pepper and avocado oil and then use that almost as my dressing. It's so yummy. And that on almost any type of salad is really beautiful. And then the other thing that I almost always put in my salad is some form of fruit. So that could be strawberries, blueberries. I love to put pear in and even apple. And sometimes I do all four. Um, I put mango in a salad and pineapple in a salad. I just, I love some fruit in my salad, even if there's cheese and avocado and meat and all the things, I still usually add some fruit into my salad too. Yeah. Um, do you like nuts? Are nuts on your safe list? I'm just curious. I can eat some nuts and the nuts that I usually put on salads are pine nuts, uh, almond slices and pecans. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and you know, as you look at that, like it's it, for me, when I look at salad, I look for, I think part of the reason I've always liked being creative with salad is because it's like the most boring, like lame, like sad kind of food when you're in that fad diet sort of life. And I think because I had lived so much of that when I became a chef, I was like, okay, well, how do I make this delicious? And my husband, um, he's from New Orleans. His palate definitely leans like fatty, heavy, cheese laden, like covered in, um, in like a cream sauce, kind of like slathered with butter type life. And so I love the challenge of getting him to eat a salad. And when I say getting him to eat a salad, this man it, like is thrilled to eat vegan salads and is like, where's like, I just want even more of this kind of thing because I understand that what he's really looking for is a richness, a di like a dynamic flavor to the salad that makes it so much more than, um, you know, just, just anything. And so I have a lot of fun creating salads or like even adding color to it. I think it's, for me, it's also just a um, appreciation of nature's bounty um, and it's, it's just a very fun way for me specifically to create. I love that. Thank you so much. I can't wait to create a salad the next time you're over here on this island. Yeah, we'll, we'll share it live on Body Positivity. It'll be fun. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> awesome. 
So I have to ask you, what is one myth and one truth about fad diets for you? A myth about fad diets for me is that is actually the reliance upon science to prove one thing or another, because for me, sometimes it's we use this information and we don't have the full complete picture. So I think that when we take um, these scientific sound bites that are not complete, that don't fully understand or take into complete um, reflection what's really healthy, we can make decisions or generalizations about food that are not right. Like that, for example, um, when we looked at uh, when, I don't even know when it was, but like when fat became villainized, this idea that like fat was a bad thing, then everybody started pushing fat free. But what they were really doing was putting tons of sugar, refined sugar into foods. And so to me, it's, it's, um, it's relying sometimes upon that data without fully understanding it, or again, really listening to what's right for you. Just because science says that grains are healthy and that they do this and they do that, does not necessarily mean that it's right for you. So I think the myth there is like letting science or letting what other people say, tell us what's right for us. I think it's really about going to experts who can um, who can help us understand the science for us specifically, for our needs, um, really understanding that, and this leads to my truth, which is that what's really healthy for us is such an individual thing. So rather than rely upon what other people say, you know, like really look for quality experts that you lean upon, that you trust, that feel like like they're in alignment with what you value and work with those practitioners. And as long as that's working for you, continue with that. And if, if you need to shift your approach, know that that's also okay. So that's my myth and my truth. How about you, Arles? Yeah, so my the myth would be that fad diet fad dieting leads to weight loss or weight gain you know some people are looking to gain weight right um and the reason that i say that is a myth is because it's usually not something that's sustainable and frequently um when fad diets are used individuals may experience initial weight loss but they can also experience gaining more weight back than they lost uh, once they're not following that diet anymore and or the opposite, you know, they may experience some weight gain, but they may then experience further loss. And it's because most fad diets are not sustainable. They're just not sustainable. It's not something, you know, eating cabbage soup for the, every day for the rest of our lives is probably not sustainable. <laughs> Um, for any other reason that there may become times where we just can't find cabbage, right? So my truth would be find something that works for you, that feels really good, that really supports your health, and that is sustainable. A, a set of guidelines for yourself that really support you, that feels really nourishing, that allows you to still have yummy, scrumptious food. Um, and create sustainability and, you know, is high quality, is high nutrient rich. I'd also say that, you know, another myth is that 
fad diets are healthy. Well, some fad diets don't take into consideration all the nutrients that we actually need from our foods. Um, and then having diversity in our foods can, really does improve the nutrient intake that we have. And so consider what you're eating and consider um, if you're getting all the nutrients that you need, you know, the protein and calcium, magnesium, um, even sodium, we have to have sodium in order for our hearts to work, you know, cutting out salt altogether in a diet is probably not healthy. <laughs> so um, it's important to kind of look at the details, find something that's sustainable and healthy and is giving our bodies the nutrients that we need to live a full and healthy life. I love that. And I love that you talked about salt because uh, salt is a, as something is as a mineral, as a crystal, as a, <laughs> as a food ingredient, it's incredibly powerful. And it, it is something that sometimes we villainize again, without fully understanding what's, what's not good about too much salt. How are the ways that we've put ourselves in this place where we consume too much salt? And it really has a lot to do with consuming a lot of processed and preserved foods versus fresh foods. If we're eating fresh foods that are properly seasoned, I think that's very different than having a can of um, Campbell's tomato soup or something that is overly, overly um, loaded with sodium, not just for the taste, but also for the preservation of it. Absolutely. And there are many different kinds of salt and they have different <laughs> nutrient properties. I feel like we could do a whole podcast just on salt. Oh my God. Are uh, we going to? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm a huge fan of potassium salt myself. That's my favorite kind of salt to salt with. So I think we should. I think in the future we should have a whole <laughs> podcast just on salt. Well, we'll have to ask if everyone is in for that because it may just be a discussion that's like interesting to you and me, Arliss. So we, <laughs> we may be nerding out on our own. So if if you are interested in a discussion of salt uh, with me and Arliss, if you want us to share it with you all and not just keep it between us, let us know in the comments so that we know um, that we know that you want that. We're happy to serve. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. I love that we're both nerds. That's fabulous. <laughs> yep. So, um, Diana, we have an amazing guest coming next week. Who is it? Oh, gosh. It is time for a sneak peek at something really special and a really, really great open and honest conversation about body positivity with Liz Stapleton. Liz is a Big Island photographer and actually took some recent shots of me and Arliss celebrating body positivity. So join us live next week because we will be unveiling those photos. Nobody has seen them yet. They, they, I think they've only been between you and me so far, Arliss, right? So Absolutely. we are going to share them with, uh, with everyone who joins next week. So hope to have you then. Absolutely. So you heard it straight from Diana. You better be here because we're going to be unveiling some pretty amazing body, body, body positivity photos and have an incredible guest, Liz Stapleton, with us. So I look forward to seeing and hearing all of you next week. And we'll, we'll be back. It's <laughs> all right, bye. Diana signing off. Bye. <laughs>